think after like years of doing this, I would have this memorized, but no. Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for October 13th, 2012. The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show featuring issues on gaming in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, Macau, and the rest of the world. Um, we have a special guest here today for an interview with us, Mr. Derek Stevens, who is the CEO at the D Las Vegas. Is that correct? I got that title That's right? Correct. And a, is it co-owner, partner, I'm not sure what the right title is for your, your, your uh, investment in the Golden Gate? Yeah, I'm the chief executive of both properties. Oh, excellent. Okay. So you're on the hook for everything. <laughs> um, the D, of course, is uh, experiencing their grand opening as we speak. We want to make sure we thank Derek uh, for what is certainly an incredibly busy weekend for him to be here with us to answer some of, our, some of our questions. So we really do appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule today. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to uh, have been asked. So thank you very much. I took this seriously. I got dressed up for everybody. <laughs> All right. That's one of us. <laughs> so let's just jump right in. And the way we do this uh, is kind of a free-for-all. Um, I've got some questions. My, uh, my co-host here, Dr. Dave and Mr. Chuck Monster, will also jump in. So um, we'll just uh, start and see where we land. All right. So uh, one of my questions was starting to talk about your properties downtown, which is the Golden Gate and the D. And you kind of answered part of it just then. I was wanted to start with the Golden Gate and get an idea of how involved you are there. I mean, if you're the CEO, you're really directly involved with the management situation there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at the Golden Gate uh, generally every night, and uh, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm usually posted up at the end of the bar. It gives me a good opportunity look over the look over the table, look over the pit. So I'm, uh, I'm involved there regularly. And now that we got into uh, the purchase of uh, what used to be Fitzgerald's, now the D., over the course of the last year, and I've actually got to spend uh, quite a bit of time walking the three blocks back and forth every night. That's true. You got kind of you kind of got both ends, right? So you get to bookend both sides. And That's right, exactly. Um, so you at the Golden Gate, you've just completed an expansion, right? The property's not gigantic to begin with, but now it's a little bit bigger than it was. Tell us a little bit about that expansion and how that's been. I mean, it's just recently opened. Yeah, we um, we uh, began uh, a construction project uh, last summer. And uh, what we did at the Golden Gate, we added um, a, a new uh, section of all suites. So we added 16 suites to uh, to the property. Golden Gate never had suites before, so this was some uh, some new product that we were able to bring in. And when we did that, we had a new port cochere, a new entrance, uh, expanded the bars, new restrooms, and kind of touched everything up a little bit. So I'm wondering, when you take a property like the Golden Gate, which obviously has been around pretty much almost forever as far as Nevada gaming goes, um, when you make, start to make changes to it, how does that impact your clientele? Are they happy, excited, sad, upset, angry, pitchforks? How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always a little bit of, little bit of both. But, but really for us at Golden Gate, the key thing that we wanted to do was try to maintain the intimacy um, and the charm that Golden Gate had. The oldest building in all of Las Vegas, um, the, you know, the, the address of 1 Fremont Street. We wanted to tr try to provide some of the newer amenities um, yet still maintain the old historical charm. And, and um, you know, that's what we took our best shot at. And how's it going so far? Uh, so far, I mean, the numbers are good. I mean, it's packed every night. Um, I think it's a fun place. I really enjoy it. I love, I love being there personally. So it's, it's, worked, it's worked out very well. Sounds good. I was in there actually yesterday uh, to see what it looked like, and it is, it's looking quite snappy in there. I appreciate that. Um, let's move down the street 
to the D, since that's sort of definitely the story of the weekend and um, a big story about downtown recently, um, even starting a couple of years ago when we saw the plaza go through their major refurb and some of a lot of the other changes that we've seen downtown. Um, tell us, I guess, well, let's start at the beginning. When did you start looking at that property um, and seriously as far as an acquisition and turning it into the D? Actually, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, I made an offer on Fitzgerald's in 2009, and then uh, and then uh, Don Barton actually pulled it off the market. Then in 2011, came back on the market, and uh, we really jumped at it pretty quickly. Um, we reached agreement to uh, purchase the property in just a few weeks, and we already had gone through all the due diligence, and we knew when we were going to buy the property that we were going to change up quite a bit of this property. Uh, the actual name Fitzgerald's was not owned by this property. It was actually licensed. Um, so we knew we were going to change the name because we never bought the name Fitzgerald's. And uh, we wanted to change the name because um, we knew that we were going to change the property so much that this was a property that needed to get a rebranding. And uh, and then um, we got to the point where we were able to close on it uh, October last year. So we're really at our kind of a one-year anniversary, but uh, but today's our grand opening weekend. Well, congratulations. I'm sure you're hearing a lot of that this weekend, but it is, you know, quite an accomplishment. Um, where would you say in the market, how do you see the downtown market as far as different properties and which segments of the market they're trying to attack? And how are you positioning the D in that hierarchy? Well, I, I, think, uh, I think what we're seeing all of downtown, I think uh, downtown's seeing a bit of a resurgence. There's, there's quite a bit more investment taking place, both in the gaming and the non-gaming side. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think um, the image of downtown is changing quite a bit. I mean, it's a fun place. Uh, 24 hours open alcohol on Fremont Street always creates some unique, uh, unique situations. Um, but I think it's a lot of fun, and, and I think it's clean, it's safe. And really, that's what we've tried to push. And, you know, with that, I think, you know, room rates go up, and, uh, and uh, the room product changes are, uh, are probably the biggest thing that, that would allow people that, uh, to stay downtown. So you, meant, you, did, you mentioned safety a minute ago, and the reason that I bring this up is because I think it was in The Sun a couple of days ago, there was a story about Zappos employees walking from their offices to park, and they were a little bit freaked out about being downtown. Do you see that as a real issue, or is that just a perception problem? Is that a temporary problem? Oh, you know, I think, I think um, you know, in any, in any city, you always have, you know, some transition, but, you know, when you move from Henderson and you're downtown, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, if they had to walk across a bridge here on the Strip, I think people would be freaked out, too, because the, walking these bridges, I'm scared shitless. <laughs> it's a good point. We talk about that a lot on the show, um, how this Strip is, well, I guess deteriorated is a nice way of putting it. Um, all right, let's see. Let's talk about downtown in, in general a little bit more. Uh, specifically... Downtown it seems to have gone through, uh, there was a tough period where we saw some properties close and they didn't reopen. Some of them are potentially reopening. Some of them are maybe more of a question mark. Um, how do you see the future of downtown? You obviously are investing a lot of money in downtown. You, I'm assuming that means you're bullish on it. But what, how do you look at the at downtown scene and where do you see the trajectory? And what do you think is coming over the next years for that market? Well, I, I, think, I think what's happened downtown in the last year has been tremendous. Uh, the new city hall opens up. The old city hall for Zappos, the Smith Center, more high-end restaurants, um, a lot of the room renovations. I mean, what, just with what we did at Golden Gate and and, and the D is one thing. Um, 
But even with what Golden Nugget's doing and what Four Queens is doing, um, the issues on Fremont East, I, I think uh, if you look at our headcounts during you know, on weeknights, it's up about 50% um, on weekends. I mean, it's packed downtown. It's, it's great. It's just a fun, fun environment. And, uh, no, I am pretty bullish at downtown. As far as the, the Lady Luck downtown grand property, um, any idea how that's going to work out? Do you think that they're going to get that project done? Um, just in your own personal opinion as far as what you're seeing. Um, you know, I, I really couldn't tell you on a first-hand basis. I know they're trying. Uh, they need to get their financing in order. Um, but, you know, we're certainly supportive because – if that opens, um, it just helps everyone out. Um, so I'm, I would say I'm hopeful at this point. Is it a problem that they're closed? I mean, Binion's Hotel is shut down. The Lady Luck is, you know, dark. Is, does that does that cast a sort of a bad uh, vibe on downtown as a current destination? Well, you know, I think, I think uh, you know, if, if Binion's were to reopen, um, I know there's been a number of discussions on that, that point. I think that would be a great thing. Uh, but then again, Binion's really never had all that many hotel rooms to begin with. I mean... I mean, the one great asset Binion's has, and that impacts all of downtown, is their parking situation is, is phenomenal. I mean, they bring thousands of people down because they've got these great parking structures and, and whatnot. But, yeah, we would certainly love to see Binion's reopen their tower. Uh, any plans for uh, any future investment in downtown? I know you're, you know, probably just trying to get this place open this weekend, but would you potentially consider any more involvement if things continue to go well? I mean, do you... You see, see yourself as uh, you know looking to expand potentially in the future. Well, I, I think I want to celebrate tonight here a little <laughs> bit. Um, Fair enough. With a great concert this weekend, great concert coming up next week with uh, <clears throat> with uh, our other grand opening events, and um, let's see how this thing goes. Vegas is a great town from the perspective that you know if you make a move and you make an investment and it works out well, there's a lot of other guys that want to start hanging around you. They want to start offering you money. They want to, you know, want want to get going. If you make an investment that doesn't work and you get kicked in the teeth, you quickly, you know, pull back. I mean, I'm. I would say in general, I'm an aggressive guy, and you know, if everything works out well here, it's, you know, it's fair to say I like to grow. I like to grow businesses. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Um, so to talk a little bit about your entry into the market again, to go back a little bit, um, you know. Where did that transition point come where, you know, I believe you're from Detroit, had businesses there, and then all of a sudden you're a co-owner in the Golden Gate. How did, how did you cross that divide? I mean, I, we, you hear stories sometimes about people that try and break into gaming because they think it sounds like a fun gig, and they get eaten alive because it's tough business in a lot of ways. Um, how did you make that jump? Where, where did that sort of seed take, take root, and, and how did you pull that off? Well, uh, I, I mean, the, the, the true story um, comes from... Um, the fact that we decided that we wanted, my brother and I decided we wanted to get into another business. We're, we're, we're originally from Detroit, and we're in, we're in a manufacturing business, and that business is a great business. But I was concerned that what happened if the products that we make, what happens if those customers don't exist anymore? My customers were Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, and I was a little bit worried in 04 and 05. And I was too young to get retired, and I <laughs> love operating businesses, so we decided that we were going to get into the gaming business. And um, I ran, ran into Mark Brandenburg, uh, who was at that point the sole owner of the Golden Gate. And he was looking for a partner. He wanted to have somebody from a family background, not a hedge fund or something like that. And uh, we hit it off pretty well. And, and we, we agreed that we would, uh, my brother and I would buy 50% of the Golden Gate. And that was my first casino. So then I had to get licensed. That actually happened in October of 2006. 
Um, and we didn't get licensed until March of 2008. So it was 18 months to get licensed. Tell me about that process. I mean, you've oh. actually been through it, right? You read about what it's, how, how in-depth the licensing process is in Nevada. But you actually went through it. What is that like? It is, uh, for anybody that's had an IRS audit, it's about 10 times worse than that. I can <laughs> tell you that. Um, no, you, I mean, they want to get into your background. They want to understand, you know, how you operate businesses. They want to make, make sure that you don't have any drug or alcohol problems. They want to make sure you don't have too many skeletons. Um, they want to make sure you don't get leveraged because I think from a gaming perspective, the worst thing that can happen in gaming would be if you had a casino owner that actually tried to cheat um, because that would impact, you know, the, the, the entire industry. And they want to make sure that you're not in a position where you, you may become vulnerable for something like that. So I think, I think a lot of the reason it takes so long is they're giving you, a, giving you some, some rope to hang yourself, and as long as you get through it, um, you know, you're all right. I can only imagine. I mean, I've read stories about how thorough it is, and it sounds pretty painful. Obviously, you're highly motivated to make it, make it work, but it does sound, does sound like they do quite a thorough job. Um, you mentioned your brother. What is his involvement in these organizations, and how do you guys work together? Uh, how does that relationship work, and what does he bring to the table? Uh, my, my brother and I have uh, very different and distinct personalities. He's a uh, He's an engineer by trade, and uh, he's a guy that um, I go to when I say, hey, I got an idea. We can do this. We can do this. And then I, I tell him he's got to go figure out how to get it done. And <laughs> it's kind of what happens. And, and uh, he's a pretty creative guy. He's a, he's a great guy. I get along with him. He's a partner in all my businesses. Um, but like, as an example, when we're out on Fremont Street, and I said, you know, I, I, I know we could build a bar right on Fremont Street, and it's going to be a home run, and we could do this and that. What do you think? Me? sketches things out and he comes back you know a day later he goes i got an idea and i said well, what is it I said i want to build i want to dig 23 wells 400 feet deep in the back i go what does that have to do with the bar he goes well here if we do this we can go down we're on this geo um this geo spot so we put in a whole geothermal system just to be able to chill chill all the all the beer in in the golden gate to provide the cooling to freeze all our frozen drinks outside and wow um, it was actually Pretty cool idea, and it works great. And, and it's wow. geo, and it's good. That's pretty amazing. I like that story. That's a kegerator with a budget. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, that actually drives me to something else I wanted to ask you about, which is technology. And as far as in-room technology, and if that can possibly be a differentiator for smaller hotels, or whether guests really care about that kind of thing. I mean, are there opportunities with some of these new technologies, whether they're whiz-bang stuff in the rooms that make the guests uh, think they're great, or even efficiency-saving things on the managerial or operational side that let smaller properties comp compete more effectively with bigger properties than maybe they wouldn't be able to otherwise? Well, I think, um, I think technology can be a huge advantage, and, and it can be a disadvantage um, to properties depending on, on how they position themselves. Um, the, the interesting thing at the D is right across the street, there's actually um, a fiber... Um, a fiber location, and, and there's some unique opportunities for technology. And I'm definitely trying to get the D at a level from a technology perspective, but it, is the, it, it has the most amenities um, that any, any, uh, any guest in Vegas w would need. Um, we're talking about not just high-speed Internet, like very, very high-speed. Thank you. With, uh, <laughs> with, with bandwidth. And I'm out of my league here, but... Uh, no, that's fine. But, You're speaking but, my language right now, buddy. But, but, but we're, we're talking about, you know, being able to have groups that can, you know, live video chat with, you know, 300 
uh, different people um, simultaneously. We're talking about providing Internet in a different basis for people that just want to go on to just quickly get email. It's one thing. But if people want other type of uh, video or, or other type of streaming video where we're going to have different prices for extremely high bandwidth users and, and things like this. And, Sounds and, good to me. One of my biggest pet fees is paying 14 bucks for Internet service for a night, and it's, like, slower than a AOL connection in, like, 1994. So it, this is a constant source of frustration for me. So I appreciate somebody that seems to be taking that more seriously. I'll, I'll tell you and another thing. We, we've just installed... You're going to hear a lot more about this around Vegas because this is a this is a great new technology company called Tangerine. Um, I had an opportunity to walk and tour the SuperNAP switch um, about six weeks ago, and Tangerine has a whole section um, set up at Switch. They're going to be doing quite a bit in Vegas. The reason why I like them is this is this is the technology for all of the televisions in the hotel room, all the pay per view and things like this. And they have technology which which they call instant click, and I don't know for for those of you that are sports fans, it drives me crazy. You're in a hotel room, you're trying to change from ESPN to ESPN two, and it takes about four seconds. Thirty and channels between between. Yeah, and, and all that. So with the with this new with this new technology, it is literally instant. It's boom boom. I mean, it's it's right there, and all the stations you can set it up in your own grid. So it's a, it's it's a pretty slick new technology. We're the first property in all of Las Vegas that has Tangerine installed. MGM is putting Tangerine in um, through all the MGM properties, um, I think, over the course of the next year. I'm just glad we're, we're the first ones got it done. Nice. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Round of applause. Definitely welcome. Um, so when it comes to the D, how, how are you going to judge success or less than success? What are your metrics? I mean, are, are they purely financial? Is there more to it? Is, how, how do you look at that? Well, I, yeah, obviously you have to look at an income statement. You got to look at your balance sheet, but there are a lot of there, there are other metrics. Um, you know, the the one thing I, I think is interesting is in Vegas when you when you start um, a renovation project, you can't say okay, like today's grand opening. What are the numbers today? Really, really, it's something that that you have to evaluate over a couple year period because oftentimes people are going to want to come down and they're going to want to put their toe in the water. They're going to Check out the restaurants. Check out the slot clubs. See what games are there. Try to get a feel for the vibe. And if they like it, then they'll come back down maybe on their next trip. And if people come once a year, once every six months, maybe you'll have a chance to get them six months from now or a year from now, things like that. So for me tonight, the biggest issue, like at our grand opening, I hope we impress quite a few people that next October when they come out, they want to book and stay with us. So there's there's quite a bit of lead time on all that. Right, right. Um. I've been hogging the mic here, and i got a lot more questions to ask, but you guys should feel free to jump in if you want to. Yeah, i got something uh, just to throw this out there. Hunter talked to you a little bit about the process of ownership. I want to know, probably on behalf of a lot of folks out here who think it would be pretty cool to own your own casino, what's it like going from a guy who visited Vegas, you know, went to casinos to casino owner? How's that feel? You know, it's funny because in this business um, – in this business, I, I think it's it's pretty natural feeling um, that everybody wants to own a casino. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, it's one of those things. You're looking at that and you think, okay, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to give it a shot. And uh, and um, you know, the one thing about the business, everybody sees the first floor, and there's a lot of action, and it's 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 energizing. Um, and all that's all that's true. 
um, what people don't really understand it is as much time as I spend on the casino floor, which is where I like to be, because this is where I get to meet people and things like that, you still have um, a lot more time upstairs doing the reports and running the business. Let's see. So you just made me think of a question and sort of an adjunct to today's question, which is, you know, you see a lot of fictionalized casino ownership on TV and in the movies. How does your life compare to, you know, say, the movie Casino? <laughs> well, I could tell you I'm not running out to the desert too often <laughs> to eat, uh, for, for accounts receivable purposes. So I think it's a little more civil <laughs> these days. Um, but, uh, but no, there, there, there's, there's, I think, uh, um, been from good reality shows to goofy reality shows to, to the way, uh, you know, many movies over the last 30 years have por portrayed casinos. I think there's a sliver of truth in everything, um, some more so than others. I, I would say, actually, the movie Casino, to me, was the, the most, um, most real. I would say that would be closest to what maybe my day would be. Um, it, it, I thought that was a very accurate depiction of, you know, what you think about who's coming into town, which host is doing this, how are we going to get this plane here? Like, it's the same thing. I mean, I, we chartered a 747, uh, 185 people in, in for our grand opening. So we're all talking about that plane might get delayed on Sunday. I'm not sure. We're going <laughs> to see what happens. So there's a lot of similarities to what you saw in the movies. I love that. That's great. Um, so online poker is a big story these days in a lot of different jurisdictions, and there are a lot of casino operators here in Vegas and other parts of the country that have strong opinions on how that should be handled, uh, whether Nevada should push for it, whether the federal government should create some kind of umbrella system to regulate it. Is this something that you pay attention to? Do you have an opinion on this debate? Well, I, I do. I mean, I, I, think, I think strongly that this ought to be uh, managed from a federal level. With, with the federal standard, um, having every state um, do their do their own thing, I think is going to end up being worse for the online poker industry in in the U.S. Um, this is a this is a huge industry, and for various political reasons, um, we've given up on it. And and considering where our economy is, why this isn't um, uh, regulated currently and taxed. At a federal level, is um, it's I, I would say it's kind of baffling to me. Absolutely, I mean I know this is an issue that doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people, especially in Nevada, where you know Nevada leader in gaming for so many years to p potentially give up that leadership position in a new gaming market when you know potentially could be the leader in online gaming if they could if everything all the all the uh, chips fell into place. You know, it would be too bad if it went to some other random locale. I mean, it'll be far, it's going to be far more expensive um, to have every state uh, r run their own operation, and it's going to be much more limiting to the individuals, I mean, depending on what state you live in. Uh, I think a, 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 a federal guidelines is, is clearly the best long-term approach, um, although I would say based upon the current political winds, I would not say that's the most likely, unfortunately. Right. Um one of the things that I read in a story just recently about the D and its opening that I did not know before was that you strove, and I'm not sure if you achieved 100% or came close to it, but to buy almost all American goods for, was it the guest rooms? Tell us more about that and how that worked out. And if it was hard to do, given we hear so much about things being manufactured overseas and stuff, you might not be able to get American-made. Yeah. How did that process play into your refurbishment plan? 
Well, you know, when we when we decided to rename the property, we ended up calling it the D. And really, there were three reasons. Uh, one, uh, because we're we are downtown. Two, uh, my brother and I are from Detroit. When you're from Detroit, you say you're from the D. And uh, generally, D is what almost everybody calls me. So we're going down to D's place. So we ended up with that name. So now people are asking me, I mean, are you a Detroit-themed casino? Or what is a Detroit-themed <laughs> casino? Why would you ever have a Detroit-themed <laughs> casino? So I guess what, I, what, 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 I, what I've told everybody is we're not a Detroit-themed casino, but there's certain elements of Detroit that, that um, I'm very proud of and I wanted to bring into our property. And, you know, one of the things um, coming from Detroit, I'm a big American-made uh, uh, products kind of guy, American manufacturers, and you know that's something that means a lot to me. So that when we redesigned all the hotel rooms, um, we had a lot of quotes, and we just spent a little extra time to make sure we could buy all American-made furniture, beds, and, and everything else like that. And and we were able to get there, and it really didn't cost more, uh, but it meant a lot to me to say that all of our furniture in this hotel was U.S. made, and and I thought that that was something that was important. So that's kind of more of a Detroit thing. Chuck, I know you have a question that you wanted to ask, and I've got some I've more. got a bunch of questions, okay, well, man. I am uh, chomping uh, at the bit. Well, you, you, you jump in for a bit. i got some more right, stuff, too, okay. but go ahead. Now, I wanted to ask D. <laughs> have you ever taken a tub in a tub filled with $100 bills? No, I can't say no, no, no. There we go. Well, there goes that. Uh, <laughs> I had five follow-up questions to that, but, uh, but seriously, I, I do have two semi-serious questions. Uh, the, the first one I asked at uh, the first podcast, Palooza. Was it the first one? First or second? No, it was the second. It was the second one. So I don't know if it was at the, at the Plams. I don't know who was there. Anybody was there? A couple of you, yeah. Welcome back. Uh, I asked uh, Gordon Absher, who's the MGM PR guy. Uh, we're about this time of year, a couple of months or so before City Center opened. And I asked him, why should my dad, who's now 83 years old, come visit your property? Why should he stay there? You asked, wait, wait, you asked your dad at City Center? What are you talking about? I asked Gordon to tell me, to explain to me, why should my dad, who's 83 years old, come stay at Aria? And I'm asking you the same thing. Why should my dad, instead of going anywhere other place, why should he stay at the D? Well, I, I, think, I think my answer is pretty straightforward. Um, it's better, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm pushing it now. I understand. Uh, no, the reason why you want to stay at the D is... is is what we tried to do is take an asset and try to evaluate what was unique about it and then really try to step it up. And the fact that it's a two-story casino, that is something that's very unique. And um, with the way we designed it, we've got the first floor with one theme and the second floor with the other. And for your dad, he'd have the ability to um, have a good time with Lady Gaga and Black Eyed Peas on the first floor and go right back upstairs and listen to Sinatra and... Dean Martin and, and have all the vintage Vegas coin machines and things like that. So you have the ability to experience two eras. And I think that's the one thing within our property that um, that is very different than you'll see anywhere else. Gordon's answer to me was... Uh, Disappointing. We, he, he basically said, 
it doesn't matter where your dad stays. And City Center's been doing great ever They're since. They're doing great. And dad hasn't been there. So uh, the second question I have is now, here you are. You've renovated one hotel. Now you've completely renovated and rebranded the D. Today's the big day. What would you say to a guy like Sam Nazarian, who's trying to, who has plans to turn the Sahara into a semi-luxury, just below luxury, what was the exact, you know, just below luxury property in the location that they are, in the market that they are, and all these things. What would you say as a man who actually has full experience of doing this in Las Vegas, what would you say to him? Well, I would say uh, make sure you get your debt in order and uh, make sure you have your financing in order. Make sure you have enough working capital to sustain, uh, to stay, sustain a, a, uh, a startup period. And uh, the most important thing is figure out who you are first. Um, don't try to, don't try to uh, be something that you're not. Um, oftentimes people come to me when I'm at the bar at Golden Gate or the D and, 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 uh, and they say, so what do you think? And, and I said, listen, I'm not competing with City Center. I don't compete with Bellagio. I mean, you know, I can't compete with $4 billion towers. I said, but the one thing I can say is I don't have $4 billion in debt either, which allows us to sell <laughs> drinks for $4 and things like that. Do you have any opinion on that project? Do you any sense of whether you think that'll get done? Uh, no, I, no. What SB, what, what Sam's got, um, obviously a very, very smart guy, and he's got some uh, good investment bankers, and they made some uh, very shrewd moves in buying up their own debt. Um, I, you know, I'm, I would say I'm more of a fan, and I'm just hopeful that, uh, you know, everything there gets rolling and they're successful because I, I really think Vegas is a place that, built upon itself. So I'm, I'm just very hopeful that what he ends up doing and, and ends up working out well. Do you, would you, I mean, that, that seems like an ambitious project, but if something like that came along in the future, could you imagine making the jump to the strip some, someday? I know I already asked you if you're planning your next six places already, but. Uh, well, I guess we have to, we have to see. I mean, I, I like downtown, but uh, you know, you, you've got to roll with the punches here. So we got to see. The F has a ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, go ahead. Hey, Chuck, just hold on a second. As you say that, you realize we had to take down 4,000 Fs. I could guarantee you, <laughs> you, you I will never have a property with an F in it. You got some in the garage somewhere, I'm sure. Fitzgerald had more Fs than I, I could ever dream of. Four Fs. You cut off the four F club. <laughs> Draft Dodgers. Is that joke too old? <laughs> go ahead, Dave. So uh, I got one for you. Is there any difference between the customer at the Golden Gate and the customer at the D? You know, I think um, I think customers downtown are, I would say, on average, they probably drink a little bit more. Okay. I mean, our, our drinks are a little cheaper. Um, I'd say that it's a, it's a pretty alcohol-induced um, experience downtown for most. Um, but I would say as far as, as, far as um, gambling, I would say no, because, you know, again, as long as you manage your overhead – you know, I'm, I'm glad that all of our blackjack games paid three to two. All of our dice games, you know, all of our dice games are ten times odds games. Um, you know, our drinks are, so the whole thing is, um, I think from the gambling side and then from um, um, a beverage side, I think uh, downtown um, competes well and, I mean, really competes very well. 
Um, talking about sort of the, the Las Vegas market a little bit more generically. Um, so, you know, in the late 90s, we had four or five companies really controlling most of the casinos on the Las Vegas Strip. And, of course, through a series of huge mergers, those have consolidated where we now have two gi giants that, um, you know, are incredibly over-leveraged and loaded up with debt. And we've got a couple of other people that run casinos here and there. Do you have an opinion? So I guess when I look at that, I, I feel like, and I can't tell if I'm just getting old and this is a get-off-my-lawn moment or whether this is actually true or maybe it's both, um, but that it, the decreased competition on the Strip, because we are now seeing basically two companies run the whole show, has actually really hurt Las Vegas Strip for customers coming to Las Vegas. Like, it was much more exciting when you had Mirage Resorts banging against MGM Grand, banging against Mandalay Resort Group, and they were really competing much more cutthroat than they are today. And now it seems like, whether it's because the companies don't have any money to fix anything when it breaks or replace the carpet when it's totally worn, or whether they know they have the market more or less locked up and they can divvy up little chunks of it to each other, is that a real thing? Do these do, were those mergers good for Las Vegas in retrospect? Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I, I don't think it, I don't think it was good for Las Vegas. Um, I, I'm I'm a strong believer that competition um, is a good thing for everyone, um, not just the competitors, but for the but for the consumers. Um, I think um, you know industries that have high high levels of competition that creates innovation that creates. Um, new and better processes, new ideas, and things like that. So, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty orientated around being a free market guy, and I think the more competition, the better. I agree completely. I mean, I you know I I've been thinking about this for a long time, and why you know it just doesn't seem as vibrant and fun to me in a lot of ways. And whereas downtown these days seems like it's where a lot of that sort of melting pot innovation is taking place, where it seems like much more of a laboratory of interesting casino ideas downtown than we see on the Strip in many cases. Um, I mean, do you agree with that? Do you think that... No, I, I agree. I mean, the downtown properties, I mean, we're all smaller entrepreneurial guys, and we all kind of come up with things a little bit. But, it, you know, it's tougher in bigger organizations. I mean, bigger organizations, um, it's, it's tough to have um, as much creativity. And that's in any company in any industry. Given the state of our economy and, you know, everything we've been through in the last four years in the United States, how, how big of a deal is sort of that cost value equation for customers? Is that the most overriding concern when they're picking properties these days for the average customer? Of course, some people are never impacted by that. You know, that's, that's a great question. I wish I wish actually I could uh, have a better handle on that because there's, there's so many different segments. Um, it's very clear for Expedia customers that that – uh, price per night is the selling point. I mean, from one dollar higher to one dollar lower, you can uh, you could fill your hotel or, or or not fill it at all. But that's only a segment of of, of the business. I mean, you, you still have people that are coming to a property because they like the property or because they think your dealers are more friendly or they just maybe they've had a good good run of luck over the last five years. So I think there's all all these different segments um, and. Everybody uh, determines, you know, the, the, their decisions differently. As far as the Fremont Street experience goes, the organization and the canopy and the light show and all the stuff that goes in with that, um, you know, I, my impression is it's been great for downtown properties. If you disagree, please let me know. But I'm wondering, <laughs> how does that organization need to evolve or does it in the future? Is the light show enough 
to wow people in an era where people have iPhones and tablets and computers and all this stuff. The technology has evolved so much that we all own. How, how important is it for the FSEU Evolve to match that and make that amp up that wow factor? Well, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think we have to continue to amp that up. Um, you know, I've been a big proponent to have at least two new shows every year uh, developed. Um, you know, our latest show is the Bon Jovi show, and um, I think that's the best show that we have down there. Um, but I think, I think Fremont Street has to continue to kick it up. Um, I actually mentioned, I think, at one point uh, um, to uh, Tim Dressen at, at 500 that uh, there's going to be an announcement later this year for something substantial on Fremont Street, and, and I'm uh, not pulling back on that. Um, Good. I remember that interview, happen. so I'm looking forward to finding out And unfortunately, I don't have the authority to announce it. <laughs> Come but, on. But I could tell you. We're well, amongst but, friends. Nobody's going to tell. <laughs> Turn off your Blackberries. <laughs> but, but I could tell you that uh, it would be worthwhile to get Jeff Victor out to uh, talk to everyone. He's the president of Fremont Street, and he's going to have a pretty substantial announcement coming up here in, uh, oh, I'd say probably the next few weeks. Excellent. Uh, a Slayer show? <laughs> that would be substantial to me. <laughs> I don't know how much you pay attention to other jurisdictions, but you know Atlantic City's been in the news a lot, and recently over the past few years, and not often for not great reasons. Um, any opinions on the Atlantic City market as far as where it's going, and you know if are there structural problems that they need to fix? Can they reduce their decline, or is it just a market that's never going to bounce back? You know, I am. I haven't been to Atlantic City in uh, in, in a few years. Um, I have had the you know opportunity to, um, you know, I know quite a few of the uh, executives of the Golden Nugget and and their owner Tillman Fertitta, and uh, many of their executives are flying back and forth to Atlantic City, so I get to hear some of the war stories. And uh, ooh, it's a it's a tough market, um, and uh, it's a market that I'm glad I'm not in, and it's a market that I have no intention of, of looking <laughs> towards. Um, I, I think. Uh, you know, some of the dynamics of what's transpired with, with, with Pennsylvania um, has had a great impact. Um, and, uh, and I think Atlantic City's got, uh, got some structural issues that, you know, I think uh, it's, 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 it's going to be tough going for quite a while. Yeah. Um, Detroit, your hometown, would you say transformed by gaming, positively, negatively, not significantly impacted? How has gaming changed Detroit? Oh, um, you know, Detroit's a, a, a limited jurisdiction type of um, uh, area, so there's only three casinos. There's an MGM, a Motor City, and a Greek Town. Um, they're three large casinos, um, and when you only have three casinos, I mean, they're, they're it's packed. But again, there's only three of them. Um, from a uh, you know a customer perspective, I would say they're not great casinos to go play in. I uh, I would recommend to anybody uh, whole percentages are quite a bit higher. Um, when you look at a dice layout, um, you know, you, you, you got a big six and big eight that takes up about half the, <laughs> half the damn layout and people are betting it like crazy. You know, I was like, what are you doing? So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different type of dynamic. Um, and you know, there's limited hotel rooms and, uh, you know, Vegas is different people. When people come out to Vegas, this is actually one of the things I love about Vegas the most is when people come out here, they're excited, you know, they're, they're thinking about it. They're going to have a great time, whether they're, whether they're going to the pool or restaurant or shopping or gambling. Um, everybody out here is really upbeat, and you can feel it. And as soon as you land in McCarran, you know, I still, I still get that feeling. Every time I land in McCarran, uh, you just feel great that you're back here. Um, Detroit's a little bit different from a gaming perspective. Fair enough. 
for I want to. I've got a couple couple more questions, and if these guys want to add anything before we're done, that would be great too. But I'm cu curious. Before you were a casino owner, um, where did you like to stay when you came to Las Vegas? I uh, well, I can tell you. I go through my whole progression. When I when my, my first uh, first time I was ever in Las Vegas, um, I rode into town and uh, um, <laughs> and uh, pulled up at a place called the Dunes, and uh, I got a room for fifteen bucks, and uh, um, I had about uh, ten more dollars on me. Played roulette, um, made about fifteen dollars. I thought I, I thought I was the king. I went out, got extended my room for a two-day stay, and I thought I was amazing. Well, you know, a couple hours later, after I prepaid for that <laughs> hotel room, I'm making sure I got enough gas to drive back out of here. So no, I stayed. I stayed at the Dunes first, and then uh, um, when I was a little younger, uh, I used to stay at the Hard Rock one when the Hard Rock opened, and. Uh, I was there for probably five, six years, and then uh, when Bellagio opened, I've been staying at Bellagio. I love Bellagio, and I mean, I love all—I lo I love all these casinos. But I would say Hard Rock and then Bellagio is kind of where I usually hung out. Dave, Chuck, want to throw throw down? Yeah, I have a four-question lightning round okay. for you. All Hit right. It. Okay. The first one, simple: yes or no. Is it true that you're allergic to shellfish? No. So you eat the. Shrimp cocktails down there. Absolutely. They're damn good, aren't they? They are good. Yeah, they are good. You still, you sick of them yet? No, I love them. All right, that's question one. It's question the best number... gambling aphrodisiac ever. There you go. <laughs> question number two, Ginger or Marianne? I guess I, 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 I'm, I'm in Vegas. I'm always, uh, you know, the Hollywood starlet, Ginger. Okay, Ginger. All right. Uh, Ted Nugent or the MC5s? Um... I'd probably go Nugent, I guess. Okay, Nugent. And the last question is, what do you think about all the people on Fremont Street dressed up as weird characters begging for money? <clears throat> well, I mean, bottom line is I think of them as weird characters begging for money. <laughs> but, but I've actually noticed that there's, there's a lot of weird characters begging for money all over the place now, yes, too. So. But, you know, when you have free speech zones, um, you know, I guess, the, I guess it's, a, it's a growing business. <laughs> so I got a question. What do you think the best case scenario for downtown is over the next couple of years? Well, I think uh, I think having Zappos move in downtown, and then subsequently, if you have two thousand employees, they have to bring their vendors, their suppliers. I think uh, I think you're going to start seeing um, uh, some uh, projects announced for housing. It's interesting because as much as you say Vegas is has some foreclosure issues or too many homes. Really, downtown, uh, there's not enough homes. There's not enough apartments. There's not enough housing. Um, and I, I think you're going to start seeing um, more projects like that. <clears throat> um, I think from the casino side, um, you're seeing, you know, more groups, more conventions, more vendors. So I, I, I think we're you know, on a pretty good growth uh, trajectory. I, you know, I have one more question, and then we're going to let you go. We know you've got a, a, busy, uh, a busy weekend. I, uh, I, as you were ramping up some of these projects, I, you know, heard you on 500 by Midnight. How did that happen? Are you a, are you a big 500 fan from long ago? Are you calling in under a pseudo name we're not aware of? Or, um, no. you know, who, what is your secret drunk call-in name? Derek from Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 38. Go check it out. <laughs> no, it goes way back. I mean, I mean, um, the podcast, I mean, to, to great degree, I'm, I'm just a fan. I, you guys wouldn't even know this, but, um. It was the year, and I think it was um, at the Flamingo, if I'm not mistaken, when you had podcast Palooza. I was just in the, I was just in the crowd. It was the 
It was the um, wow. year I think Rita Rudner was here. Yeah, right. Um, yes, sir. And uh, no, I just sat back there and uh, Tom McCartney. And no, nobody really knew who, who I was, and I was just sitting back because no, I'm just a fan of what you guys do. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, guys, give it up for Derek Stevens. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the honor. Thank you so that. much for coming. Is there any final words you want to give us as far as the D this weekend? People come check it out. What's what are the details with the opening festivities? What should people not miss? Well, tonight we got a we've got a great great um, band by the name of Jizzy Pearl that's warming up for Brett Michaels and 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 I don't know if any of you have seen Brett Michaels, but we had him play about three months ago, and uh, yeah, I guess you could say I'm a Poison fan a little bit, but I was I was so blown away with this concert that right then and there we decided to change direction. I wanted him for, for, uh, for this grand opening weekend. It's a, it's a great concert, and, and if you're available tonight, he comes on about 1030. Uh, um, hopefully you can make it down and check it out. And I'd Excellent. love you to check out the yeah. D. Excellent. Yeah. It's great.